0: <laughs> All right, well good morning everyone and welcome to those watching in online. <laughs> My name is Jared Kidwell. I have the privilege of being our kids director here. Yeah. My wife is also on staff. She's our communications director. And this is our family. That's us. Yeah. Now, If you would with me, if you look in really close, I mean, if you really examine this picture from right to left, you will see the chain of command in our household. (laughs) Uh, I'm joking. Actually, sometimes the two on the right switch spots. (laughs) Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Oh, man, we love uh, being here. My wife, Tyler, is beside me in the picture. Uh, Our daughter, Emery, is four years old and our daughter Micah is two years old, and we have loved Mill City. Man, we we came just a few weeks before COVID, and in a season where it seemed like so many things came to a stop for so many people, COVID actually marked the beginning of something for us, and that was Mill City. We came, and I remember, uh, it was my daughter Emery's second birthday and we brought her into the building and we took her back to Mill City Kids and then my wife and I came into the gathering and we were sitting, in, I don't know, somewhere in here and somewhere in the middle of worship, I looked over at Tyler and she had tears in her eyes and I decided to ask her, are those good tears or bad tears? And she responded, uh, those are good tears. And that was kind of our story. I mean, the rest is history. We loved Mill City from that point forward. And we decided, actually, we prayed and believed that God called us to plant roots here in this church, to build community, to be a part of what this church does in the community, and we have loved it. We love our leadership, we love our culture, and we love the people in this church as well. And so, thank you for being a welcoming place for our family, thank you for teaching us so much, and thank you that we get to do life alongside you. We are happy to be here. Thank you. That's right, and I'm happy to have the opportunity to bring the message today. We are in the middle of our 57 series. It's a series on the Lord's Prayer. 57 is the number of words in the Lord's Prayer in the original language. And now, the Lord's Prayer is actually found right in the middle of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and is itself kind of at the heart of what Jesus is communicating. Throughout the series, we have an opportunity as a house to memorize the Lord's Prayer stanza by stanza, if we haven't done so already because it's such a popular prayer. So far, Matthew chapter 6, verses nine and 10, we've had an opportunity to memorize those two verses and we'll pick up memorizing the remainder of the prayer next week. Today, uh, I'm gonna kind of cover two main thoughts about the prayer. And I hope to point out that the Lord's Prayer is about more than words. It's about more than words. In fact, I would like to point out that the, the Lord's Prayer is more like a blueprint for the heart. It's helping us to kind of organize the structure of our heart's desire in our heart as we come to God in prayer and to go into the world. I think the Lord's Prayer has something to say in our lives uh, with every aspect of our lives whether it's at home, in prayer, whether it's at work or at school, or just interacting with the people in our own house. I think the Lord's prayer is relevant. In fact, I think all prayer is relevant, and really for this reason, because prayer, and we like to say in this house, that prayer is not transactional, meaning I don't deposit my time and energy into something hoping that I receive a product or a service in return. Rather, prayer is relational, and it produces fruit. And what I mean by that is is, is this, prayer activates us. Prayer should produce something in us that should be seen by our home and by the people in our community. Prayer should spur us to action. Prayer shouldn't be like a, a voice memo to God, it should be like receiving instructions for the next leg of the amazing race. That God's got an idea for the journey and he has something to say about each step of the way. I love this idea, but let's begin in the best possible place. Let's begin in the word. Matthew chapter six, verses nine through 13. The Lord's Prayer says this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. What an amazing prayer. Kind of going back to this idea of a blueprint, a blueprint lays out the design of a structure, and the blueprint of the Lord's Prayer has two levels. They're connected, but unique in thought, the two levels. And the first level of the Lord's Prayer kind of lays out how we see God, how we see God, how we see the glory of God. In doing so, the Lord's Prayer prioritizes the glory of God. I don't know if you've thought about it that way before, but Jesus takes the first few verses and really just claims God to be who he is. He glorifies God, he's worshiping God with his words at the beginning of the prayer. And I think that can be a little bit confusing for a lot of people. In fact, I think prayer can be a little bit confusing or it's easy to misunderstand it sometimes, partly because so many people in the world pray. Now, what I mean by that is this, is that so many people in the world pray, not just Christians, people from nearly every different faith background communicate, pray, even meditate to a God or gods in a way that kind of looks like Christian faith on the outside or a Christian prayer on the outside. You know, it's not our, our folded hands and our, our closed eyes that separate our prayer from others. What separates our prayer is God. It's not the prayer itself. I mean, it's not the words. That's the point I wanna make. It's not just the prayer, but rather the one to whom the prayer is directed. God is the difference. God is the thing that sets everything else apart. And I love talking about this idea because if we can just camp here for a moment, our God is unlike any other God anyone has ever worshiped in any people group since the history of the world, as far as I'm aware. Because we all believe or understand that there's somewhere that we need to get that we're not yet. Maybe there's a design by which we were created and we feel like we have fallen short of that design or we recognize that there's somewhere we need to be. Almost every faith group recognizes that idea in some capacity. Most faith groups have some sort of a strategy or a ladder of where you can climb that distance yourself. You can ascend that ladder yourself. But our God loves us so much, designed us and created us, he lets us know you cannot climb that ladder by yourself. You'll never make it on your own. He knows how we work, he knows how we function, he knows what we're capable of. I had somebody tell me one time that our God is like our very best friend, that when we have food in our teeth, he tells us. He knows. Our, 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 our shortcomings. He knows what we can and cannot do. And so instead of us striving in vain, our God came down that ladder. He came down that mountain for us. And then he carries us to the place we need to be, to the place he's designed us for and to the place he's called us to. There is no one like our God. He is set apart, not only in who he is, but how he interacts with us. If we are to be different, live different, pray differently, it is not because we've willed ourselves. It is, because, it is because we are compelled by the unrivaled glory of God. And we do ourselves a favor when we make his glory our prayer priority. And I believe that what Jesus is insinuating by first centering on the significance that our attention goes to the glory of God in prayer first I think that what Jesus is insinuating is that his glory must be the priority, the focus, even at the beginning of all things we do, especially in prayer. And here's a hot take. Apart from this idea that God's glory is premier, everything else is just details. Let me explain. Because even if I'm in the middle of my prayer, let's say I have found a quiet place in my house, and I'm in the middle of my prayer, and my phone rings, and I have not yet got, to any concerns or prayer requests or even praises, if all I've done in my prayer is establish who God is in my life at that point and I become interrupted, there's still significance. If I'm praying and all of a sudden the house catches fire and I have to leave that space, but all I've done is communicated who God is, it still carries weight. If if I'm praying And all of a sudden I hear one of my kids crying down the hall and I go rushing out of the room to find out what happened, but now I'm left to discover who hurt who, what happened? Why did my daughter hug my other daughter unnecessarily violent and now they're both crying and now we're all crying and they need a snack. That happens in my life. (laughs) Chaos, absolute chaos. (laughs) The prayer still holds. The prayer still carries weight because what I've done is communicated a universal truth that God is God, sovereign and good in every imaginable way. And even if my problems don't change in the moment, neither does my God. And He will go toe to toe, He will outlast and even overcome every difficulty that comes our way. There is significance in bringing God's glory to the center of our perspective. I grew up in the country Uh, in Indiana, actually, and uh, (laughs) I don't know what a Hoosier is. I I can't tell you what it is. I don't know what the Indiana Hoosiers are, (laughs) but I do know this. In Indiana, there are not a lot of big cities. In fact, the closest town that we would drive into was about 20 or 30 minutes away, and so there wasn't a lot of light pollution in the sky. The sky would get, as you could imagine, pretty dark at night, and occasionally, my dad and I would slip out of the house and we would go lay in the grass somewhere on our property looking up at the sky, and we would observe meteor showers and identify constellations, and those are good moments growing up, thinking back on those memories. And as a kid, I didn't have a lot of problems, but what problems I did have, they did not vanish based on the vastness of the sky. Just observing the sky in front of me, that didn't take my problems away, but it always had a tendency to put them in perspective. There's something about turning our focus from the chaos to the creator about recognizing that in our chaos if there's peace or order that will ever come to our chaos it's because of him and through him alone he is the only one who can bring order to our lives. And so no matter what concerns I have or what my prayer requests look like, I establish the truth first of who God is, recognizing that no matter what I'm about to say, God is premier. And if order is to come to this, it's only in and through him. That's the perspective that I need. And perhaps you've had this perspective before, maybe next to the ocean or at the base of a 14er. Maybe you've carried that idea into your life in some capacity. But I think it's critical, it's, a, it's imperative that our prayer life reflects this idea, that, that God is greater not only than we are, but of the problems that surround us and the things in the world that can consume us. Because the reality is this, that if we lose sight of God, we lose sight of ourselves as well. A.W. Tozer says this, we can never know who or what we are till we know at least something of what God is. I love that passage. Because after all, we are created in God's image, meaning our identities are derived from him. How can we have a higher view of ourselves than we do of God? That's impossible, we could never. So to diminish our view of God is to diminish our view of ourselves. We cannot think highly of ourselves if we do not think highly of the one who created us, the one whose image we were created in. One of my favorite movies growing up taught me so much about God was The Lion King. (laughs) How many people have seen The Lion King? I'm expecting like 100% participation. It's a popular movie. And you guys know the movie more than likely. You know the part in The Lion King where our main character Simba has lost sight of who he was. He's lost sight of who he was, and even though he's king, you wouldn't know it. He doesn't behave as if he's king. He's lost sight of himself. And there's one particular scene where Simba visibly frustrated, wrestling with himself, with his own identity, is confronted by this old, uh, wise baboon. (laughs) His name's Rafiki, and Rafiki comes running up to Simba in this scene, singing the song Asante Sana, Squash Banana, which means, thank you very much, Squash Banana. (laughs) You're a baboon, and I am not. That's what he says, for future trivia purposes, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Simba's a little disturbed by Rafiki, but they exchange conversation And Rafiki goes on to say something that captures Simba's attention. He says, I know your father. And Simba responds sadly, saying, I'm sorry to tell you this, but my my father died a long time ago. And uh, Rafiki, perhaps somewhat startling, certainly surprising, says, wrong again. (laughs) He is alive, and I'll show him to you. (laughs) You follow Rafiki, he knows the way. It's so what he says to Simba, and you can see like this hope and curiosity in Simba as he begins to chase Rafiki. If you've seen the movie, you know that they run through a dark forest, the music picks up, it's suspenseful. Simba's chasing Rafiki up and over, in and around the trees of the forest until finally they come to the edge and Rafiki says, stop! And he motions Simba quietly, suspensefully, toward the edge of the water at a pond. He parts the tall grass and Simba walks out on a rock and he peers down into the water and he sees himself. And then disappointed, he turns back to Rafiki and he says, that's not my father. That's just my reflection. But Rafiki, in all of his wisdom, puts his arm around Simba and he points back to the water and he famously says, look harder. (laughs) It's my favorite line. I use it all the time. Most people don't know what I'm referring to. (laughs) (laughs) Look (laughs) Hada, And at that point, you guys know the scene. Simba leans over and he looks into the water and the water begins to ripple. And what does he see? He sees his father. He sees the image of his father. And Rafiki says to him, you see, he lives in you. And everything changes. Everything, this is the climax of the movie because not only does Simba see who he is, not only does he gain confidence, but he takes his rightful place as king and his entire kingdom is influenced as a result of what Rafiki said, more importantly, as a result of seeing his father in himself. You see, I think that everyone is hungry to discover who they are and how they fit into the world. You know, we engage personality assessments. We read about the Enneagram. We do our best to take tools to see how we best fit into our workplace, into our families. Nothing is wrong with any of those things. But my challenge would be this. How could we ever know who we are if we do not even know who God is? If we were created in his image, then his glory has to be paramount in our pursuit. Jesus, through the Lord's Prayer, places us in the sweet spot in the place where we are confronted with the reality of who we are in light of who God is. And so where the first level of our blueprint addresses how we see God, the second level of our blueprint lays out out the design of how we see the world like God. And in doing so, the Lord's Prayer points out that what God does in us, he intends to do through us. What God does in us, he intends to do through us. Now one of the ways he does this, and as Pastor Aaron mentioned a few weeks ago, is through a communal language, through using the words like are and we and us throughout this prayer. It's as if if God is training our eyes, not just to see our needs, but the needs of the community and the needs of the people around us. The truth is is that just seeing the needs isn't enough though, right? I mean, just the awareness alone isn't enough It's where we start, but it's not everything. We haven't acted yet. In order to act, we need heart change. We need our hearts to be in alignment with what we're hearing. I do not believe that there is an obligation or a social pressure in the world that will spur us to heart change. Heart change comes from experiencing something, from seeing something with our own eyes. That we might have a change of heart and not just have a change of heart, but then act accordingly in response to what we've seen. Because when we are made aware, we not only see a need, we begin to see a pattern of needs. For example, when you get a new car, you think it's unique, only to realize that you're seeing it everywhere (laughs) all of a sudden. You get it and you think, oh, it's the only one of its kind, and now it's everywhere. (laughs) I remember before moving to Colorado, I don't think I could have named anyone with a Subaru. (laughs) now at a stoplight we like to say that where two or three are gathered (laughs) there a Subaru will be there also (laughs) and once your eyes are opened to what God wants you to see to the pattern of need in the world you can't unsee it once God once God opens our eyes to what he's doing and what he can do you're never the same You don't see people's needs the same way. You don't see your own needs the same way. It changes our perspective of the world. For example, if somebody were to present a rundown house to me, I would run the opposite direction. But you present a rundown house to Chip and Joanna Gaines and they see the potential immediately. (laughs) They turn it into a masterpiece. Sometimes it's about perspective. When we have perspective like God, when we see God clearly and see the world the way that God sees the world, it changes our lives, even in difficult situations. There was a season of our lives as a family where we had to endure some rare and, and difficult challenges. We discovered at our 20-week culture sound that our daughter, Micah, would actually be born missing most of her left arm. You can imagine how difficult that news as a parent would be to take in. A couple months later, uh, my wife, Tyler, became ill and we ended up delivering Micah uh, three months premature. It resulted in a a really long uh, NICU stay and kind of marked the beginning of a difficult journey for our family in a lot of ways. But God was consistent and faithful. And our strength increased, not because of Micah's health or progress, but because what we believed about God, what we knew about who God was. God was working in us. Tyler and I would talk all the time about what God was doing in our hearts and what we believed God was wanting to do in our hearts. There was the, these like conflicting feelings of where we were overwhelmed and really struggling with what we knew to be true about our daughter, but at the same time excited because we knew what God was gonna do through it or we knew that God could do something through it. You can possess both of those feelings at the same time. As God began to work through us, I saw some incredible things. I saw a strength and an integrity. I saw... I began to saw God do something incredible in my wife's heart. Something I really had never seen before. I saw her step forward in faith in a way I did not expect. She believed in the glory of God, not only in our lives, but in the lives of others. And as we were in the hospital, I began to see her open up in conversation and take steps, courageous steps, toward talking to nurses and doctors and other people in the NICU, not only about our daughter, but about the God who was sustaining us. It was incredible. We loved our nurses and our doctors in the NICU. We laughed with them and we cried with them and we celebrated with them and a few of them even go to Mill City. It became a community to us. My wife could have been paralyzed from the pain of the situation we were walking through, but instead, she gave her heart to God and she said, I know that you're doing something in me, now do something through me. Because when I see the world like you, it changes the way I speak and it changes the way I act and it changes the way I see it, the people around me. It was a powerful time in our lives. The NICU became more than a hospital to us. It became holy ground. We felt called to it, but it wasn't easy. Our story isn't yours. There may be people in the room who can relate to our story, but today we glorify God's story. And we can all relate to his story, what he desires to do in us and through us. The Bible says he can empathize with our every need. He knows where we're at and he knows what we're going through. And he desires to give us his eyes for the world. And we love him for it. Because in that idea, there is purpose in everything. Because in that idea, there is redemption in all things. Nothing is too far gone nothing is too distant. God can redeem even the most difficult circumstance, whether it's at school, whether it's at home, whether it's in the workplace. God sees it, and he can do something through it. There are times in life when we have to radically submit to God in a way that says, this isn't something God is doing to me. Rather, this is a way he wants to use me, or rather this is something he wants to do through me. There's a purpose behind what we walk through, and so Some of our purposeful moments, some of our most purposeful moments ride the waves of our most painful experiences. He is not only powerful enough to sustain us, but he is faithful enough to answer our prayers. And if we will let him, he is caring enough to answer others' prayers through us. We may leave this place today the answer to somebody else's prayer. That's powerful. Throughout this series, we've pointed out this one really unique and interesting fact about the Lord's Prayer. One of the things that separates it from other prayers is that communal language, the are, the us, and the we. But I think it could be said that within the are, the us, and the we is a silent me. This prayer, though though it uses communal language, is personal. It is a personal invitation from God for us to see Him and to see the world like him and with that awareness we're placed with the responsibility to act on what we've heard and what God's done from what we now see there may be some of us in the room today who identify with this prayer and would say I need to get my heart in alignment with the first part to see God the way that God would have me see him that I would see him the way the Bible says. The Bible assumes God's existence. In Genesis 1-1, it says, in the beginning, God. It doesn't argue for the existence of God, it assumes his existence from the very beginning. Barner Research says that over 87% of the world believes in a God or God's. And so the question for most people, maybe even most people in this room, isn't, is there a God? The question for most people is, who is God? Jesus answers that question for us in the Lord's Prayer. He tells us who God is in his sovereignty, in his goodness, in his fatherhood of his children. Jesus communicates that clearly, but the Bible also says that when we turn our own way, that's called sin, and sin separates us from God. The good news is this, today and always, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world to live, to die, and to be resurrected. That you and I, if we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, would have life everlasting with him eternally. That's an opportunity and something that is extended to us even this morning. This might look like something you want to commit to today between your heart and God's. It may look like showing up here every weekend, every Sunday morning, to be a part of this in this community. It may look like getting into a city group where you can answer questions, ask questions, and be formed. Or it might even look like joining Alpha, a group that we offer here at Mill City Church. A place, a safe place where you can ask questions and learn learn more about who God is and how we fit into his plan. The reality is this, no matter where you are, God sees you and he loves you. And his plan for you is infinitely greater than anything that you could ever ask Or imagine. We'd like to encourage our families in our house throughout this series to get the Lord's prayer in your heart. Memorize this prayer. Speak this prayer at home over meals before bed. Communicate this prayer to our kids. Kids, communicate this prayer to your parents. Let's let this prayer be the cry of our heart, not only through this series but beyond, that we would know how to see God and how to see the world like God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to share this space together. God, we do not take lightly what you're doing, not only in this house, but in the lives of individuals in this room. You are active and loving. And God, even though you are outside of our problems, we see you in that, God. You are glorified. You are beyond our understanding. We recognize who you are, and we thank you that although you are outside of it, you also willingly step into it. You share our problems and our burdens. You not only hear them, but you act on them, and you invite us to see the world the way that you do. Jesus, I pray for anyone in this room who feels today like they need to see you the way the Bible describes as the Savior and Lord of all humanity. This is a decision that you place in front of every one of us. And so if that's a decision that somebody wants to make, God, I pray that you would help us to step into it, that we would confess with our mouth and believe in our heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. We love you. We thank you. And we praise your heavenly and holy name.